you know, what, look at what happened with the DAO, right? This is with the exact break by Ethereum and Ethereum Classic diverted, right? Like who has, beyond the security, who actually has governance, right? Who do you actually trust? Is it the system? Is it a governing body? So these are things that we are, that we do have to take into consideration when we are building these protocols. Welcome to a Bit Cryptic Podcast, where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Welcome, Cryptonauts. Today we are with Antonio Manueco. Antonio Manueco is CTO of Betablocks, which helps startups and decision makers navigate the ever evolving landscape of blockchain technology through its education, co building, and acceleration platforms. How's that for a show? Antonio is also bringing together South Florida techies through his community called Winwood Tech. He's just leading blockchain and techies in general, and he's an all around awesome dude. And we are super excited to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing, Antonio? Good. Thank you for having me. And uh, for those of you who don't know our voices, my name is Jeff. And this is Alain, aka Bitcoin Van Gogh. And welcome to a Big Cryptic Podcast. <laughs> so, Antonio, what's going on? Nothing much. Happy to be here. Uh, always like sitting down with some cool guys like you guys. So. Uh, this flattery is going to get you really far. Yeah. <laughs> Highly yeah. susceptible. Really begin. Yeah. <laughs> We are very, very easily flattered. So for the listeners who don't know you very well, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I started developing or, or you can call it developing, I guess, since I was about eight, nine years old back in the GeoCities era. So if any uh, any of you out there that remember GeoCities, that's where I really took off. You know, really, I got interested into developing these web pages back then, inline styles, the kind of this uh, spaghetti code uh, for web pages and GIFs. Um, I started doing like Dragon Ball GIFs and putting on a web page and then putting music because music was the coolest thing to put back then. Then after that, I uh, kind of got into the whole hardware side, started building my own PCs, then went to school here. So I grew up in Venezuela. I was there 14 years, moved here and went to school here in Miami since, since eighth grade. Went to the University of Miami. I stayed here. My dad passed away when I was 16. So I uh, decided to stay here in Miami and my mom is the only, my only other, uh, I guess you could say, blood relative. So I decided to also you know, stay in Miami for, for college. And then in college, I worked as a network engineer for the University of Miami. And that's really where kind of I realized that everything I had learned up to then was just complete garbage. <laughs> you know, I did a lot of freelancing in my teens, did a lot of WordPress, did PHP for like almost seven years. Um, and then I got to the University of Miami with some very smart folks. And then I noticed that, yeah, I really did. I didn't know anything. <laughs> so as a network engineer, you know, we were responsible for routing, switching, uh, Wi-Fi, all really the, the networking policies, did some uh, other security layers. We maintain all of the open source uh, libraries and, and software that we used to manage the, that we used to manage for all of our hardware. So at that point, um, I noticed that Miami really had a big hole between businesses and technology. And I started Blue Beta eight years ago, uh, summer of 2010, because I saw this really big hole in the community and I saw a big hole in the business side. So I started Blue Beta and it was a company. At, at first, when I started, I, I would do anything under the sun. So uh, you needed a POS system for a restaurant. I would do it, uh, office networks, uh, web pages. I did a, I, I was contracted also for a discovery case to do a lot of flash education games. So I did action script for some years. So anything I would do. And then I realized that this time of going into like setup and anything physical, setting up uh, 
voice over IP networks and um, IPTVs was very time consuming. So I said, okay, I'm going to go into software. So about six years ago, we started pivoting into this realm. After some time, we just started growing the company. A few years ago, we went from myself and my business partner. We scaled the company to 10 people. Last year, we increased revenue by 3x. Which company we're talking about? Blue Beta. Blue Beta. Still Blue Beta. And then this year, we went through a merger. My co-founder now, he uh, has an accelerator. He has some uh, partnerships with Google. I'm angel investor from Silicon Valley. And we merged the companies and that's where the acceleration arm came into place. So last year, we started looking into how to maybe doing a uh, co-venture. And that co-venture conversation turned more into, okay, well, let's merge the companies. You know, traditionally, we've worked with startups and enterprises. So enterprises more on the networking side, on streamlining, um, continuous integration, training engineers and best practices, how to really look at systems from a scalable point, a resiliency point. And he did all the middle, right? He did second stage startups. So we said, okay, well, if I do startups and enterprise and you're in the second stage, it makes sense for us to to create a better story to join forces. And since we were looking into the blockchain space as uh, last year, we spun up a company called Beta Blocks, which is under our group. Um, and the reason why I spun up is because we actually did a fundraise, which we closed in July. And now we're here. That was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The funny thing is, I guess you and I are contemporaries. I was also here three, eight years old. And I know the technologies you were mentioning. And I'm like, wow, yeah. he, went, he went through the whole gamut. That was, yeah. that, that, you told your, that was impressive. Yeah. You told like your whole life story. Yeah. And, I, he, and like, uh, was that three minutes flat? Yeah. <laughs> he is not reading from a script. This uh, is all made. Maybe from a script in his mind. Yeah. I felt like you've practiced that at least like, yeah. at least I'm going to say three times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's just, I've been, you know, I, it almost feels like these things happen like overnight. So I just, I don't know how to consolidate. So my apologies if it was long. No, no, <laughs> it was fine. not long. It was good. It gives us a bigger picture. There's a lot we can pick apart there and I don't want to dig in too far because it'll turn us into a three hour podcast, but <laughs> So some of the interesting points that I think are, are fun to cover that maybe aren't anything to do with blockchain, but I think are just fun to, to talk about. It's funny how like you said you learned nothing in school, which I feel like mixed saying that statement because I think it's still a valuable thing for people to go to. But yeah, I think students need to understand that when they're going to school, like you aren't learning pretty much any useful skills unless you're like one of the very few majors where you do learn useful skills. And even then you get trained on the job. Yeah, well, and I, and I also think at his time, which is, I'm saying at my time, because I went through it, you know, I was MCSE certified at one point and I did a lot of that. I think the issue was that technology was fairly new and the universities hadn't really caught on. I think at the time they only had what science, yeah. computer science was a general degree, yeah. but all the stuff that you were talking about networks and voice over IP and all of that didn't come until later. I think now if you're in school for that, they actually, from what I've heard, they have great training programs, but at the time, definitely you went to school, you didn't learn much. Yeah. yeah. But you're not gonna be a blockchain engineer in school there's no, no. there's no classes for, i mean they'll teach you a general they have general blockchain classes but there's nothing teaching you yeah. how to program stellar or like solidity or something yeah and actually so i started as a funny enough i started as a computer engineer and after the first semester i said like this is i'm not really gaining anything it was just um i didn't feel that i was uh, it was the best fit for me and then that's when i switched to industrial engineering so I did industrial engineering and then with a focus on business management and then I got my master's in logistics. So nothing to do with technical, but it was just, I've always been drawn to the technology side of it. But now when there's a logistics company who's uh, presenting you their pitch, you're like, I know yeah, yeah. how to tear you guys apart. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm going to show you my diploma. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show you what I learned 12 years ago <laughs> in my logistics classes. <laughs> very cool. So you have a very like a Miami story 
story, you know, like kind of the immigrant story. I mean, we've got a line here who's kind of been through the same thing, came over when he was young and uh, basically was like, God damn, I'm glad I got out of there. So I have like economic opportunity, not to hit on Venezuela, but you know, it's a tough place to work and, and try yeah. to thrive, especially right we now. Left, we left at the right point, you know. Yeah. So I want to maybe pivot a little more to the contemporary side of things, what you're doing. You guys had a pitch competition yesterday, right? Yeah, we did. Let's talk about that a little bit. Align, you went. I went. I had fun. I'm wearing the t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) He's supporting. He's wearing a nice bright blue, blue beta shirt. Yeah. Let me take a picture of that and show it to your audience. And there's an interesting story behind it too. Yeah. Which is? Well, I saw one guy take a t-shirt and I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could just grab one. So, I went ahead and I grabbed one too and I'm sitting, you know, behind them and then all of a sudden they start raffling off the t-shirts <laughs> and I realized it was the t-shirts that, that him and I stole, but at least he got up and he gave the t-shirt back and it just so happened that he won the raffle. <laughs> so, they gave it back to him and I'm, I'm holding on to my t-shirt and I'm like, well, I'm just going to wait because I may win the raffle too. <laughs> True story, true story. Wait, so, yeah. what happened? Did someone else win the raffle? And you're just like, can I just keep it? Or well, so okay. <laughs> How did so that go? Let let me. You know, I'll be honest. After <laughs> I kept it, but after it was all over, I went up and I think who was it? Uh, Melissa. Oh, I Melanie. Forget. Our Melanie. Manager. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went and I was like, hey, listen, I didn't know, so I just took the T-shirt. But if you want it back, here it is. And she was kind enough. She was like, no, you can have it. So here it is. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, if you take it, it's yours. You know, you're a thief, but yeah, it's yours. No, no, but it was <laughs> as long as you own it. Like you got to be just yeah. be congruent. Like just recognize. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it was a fun time. There was a good bit of people there. They had wine, they had beer, they had pizza. So I had a good time. And good pizza. We had Mr. O'Wan. Which for those of you who aren't from Miami or me who just doesn't know anything that's going on in Miami, it's a good pizza place. Yeah, it's a good pizza place. Yeah, It's uh, right in Wynwood. He used to be in South Beach and he moved to Wynwood and the pizza is very, very good. So it wasn't a Domino's or Papa John's. We tried to you know, bring up the... Have a nice little uh, high level kind of event. We should totally contact Mr. Owen after this and tell them we've been shilling them and try to get yeah. sponsorship <laughs> yeah. from them. Some Retroactive sponsorship. <laughs> what was kind of the purpose behind this this pitch event and like how does that fit into like what you guys are doing at, at Beta Blocks? And and tell us a little bit about what Beta Box is doing as yeah, well. Absolutely. So I think as a what we're trying to do is especially with any emerging technology, you can't just go and out and just sell the technology, right? There's a there's an educational piece, there's a community piece, there's a lot of green. Uh, green grass efforts that need to go into it. So part of kind of our mission is really try to bring the community together. And it's not only in blockchain, right? Blockchain is not one of these things that just solves every problem under the sun. It's got very good use cases. It's an evolution of the technology. I so, disagree with you. I think blockchain will solve every ch- problem ever made yeah. and humanity will be in a utopia. <laughs> a, lot of our, a lot of our users will take issue with that. Yeah. We'll, let, we'll let them slide yeah, for yeah. now. <laughs> and so the pitch event was really to bring these startups. We work with a lot of startups, not only in the, in the technology side, but we also work with them on the acceleration side. So it was really an effort for us to kind of put our, our stick in the ground and kind of go against the status quo. You know, I've been to dozens of pitch events here in Miami. I've been to a lot of conferences and I feel that there's a piece missing. You always see the same judges, you're seeing the same pitches. The audience is never investors, it's never individuals that can really add to the startups. It's very rare to find. And that's kind of the vision that we have. We want to build this ecosystem and really bring high net worth individuals that are interested or mentors or uh, strategic partners to come in and actually look at these companies. So it was our first one. There's a lot to learn. And you know, I'm happy that Elaine, you went to it. And that's where we are. We, we want to host them quarterly and really do a pre-screen, really get the, the startups, really get them in a, in a position to really pitch and add value to them. You know, that they're, they're really the, the, the blood, the, the bloodline here for 
Yeah, we're the number one startup city in America now, right? We just passed Austin like a few months ago. Yeah, depending on where you're looking, number one, two, three. I mean, it's still significant enough to really mentor these these startups. Yeah, so that's cool. You're so you're trying to essentially make um as opposed to like a kitty startup competition where people just get the practice getting feedback. This was the real deal where you're trying to get these investors that are actually looking to invest, and you have like uh, you mentioned before our podcast that you you would actually coach some of these companies and pre-screen them so that you had like these really awesome pitches so that the high net worth individuals that came didn't feel like they're wasting their time. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty smart. Absolutely. And you have, you're always going to have companies that are more prepared than others. And it's really who takes advantage of them. Actually, the, the, the winning company by the judges was a company that actually was pre-screened by us. So we told them, you know, we gave him uh, some feedback. He took it back changed the pitch and then he came in and that was the one that the judges decided. So they do get a lot of value, especially since my co-founder is an active angel investor. Um, he's seen, you know, a few thousand pitches. So it does add value. It's not just we're giving advice, not knowing what we're doing. This is what we do on a day-to-day. Now, so quick question to somebody that's listening to us out there and they have a company and they don't know how to go through this process or maybe perhaps they want some of this advice. What happens? Do they come to you? Do they go to the site? Do they sign up? What happens there? Absolutely. I mean, they can come, they can either send us an email that you can get in contact with any of our team members. We're a small enough team that, you know, we all know what uh, who needs to be routed where. So you can go to our website, you can go to bluebeta.com. Um, you can send us an email at info at bluebeta.com. Somebody will get you into the right hands. And, you know, we're, we're active in the conferences and the events down here. So if you see one of us, you see one of those Blue Beta shirts, uh, go up to them and ask how you can get in contact with us. But yeah, absolutely. Please, we always, we always welcome people to come in and uh, really take advantage of what we're trying to do. Now, so we've mentioned we're here in Miami, obviously, uh, South Florida. But is this open to... People who may not be from Miami or South Florida, you know, further north or wherever. Yeah, absolutely. Not only in the U.S., but um, as part of the merger with my co-founder's company, MarketFit, and that's also uh, one of our our business units under the group, we have a contract with the Brazilian governments. We're accelerating 400 companies going out of Brazil, second stage startups, going international. So not only into the US. So yeah, absolutely. It's not only in the US, but it's also international. We find a really nice niche for companies that are already having the one to $2 million uh, annual revenue that want to come into the US, but they don't really know the market. So we help them in the pitch training. If you have a company and get your pitch face on yeah. and... Uh, Get over here. (laughs) Get in contact with somebody. Yeah, bring it to Blue Beta. (laughs) Yeah, let's get pitchy. So, I'm just going to throw out a random question that I love asking the, the tech guys in blockchain. What are some commonly misunderstood things about blockchain? Because I feel like people love to throw out a lot of superlatives and I would love to have you clarify things. Yeah, this is where you start uh, kind of driving that stake into the business heart. Number one, crypto and blockchain, we're still battling that crypto is uses blockchain, but it's not the only use case for blockchain. Funny enough, last week, uh, QuickBooks actually canceled all of our payment accounts because we're a crypto company. Did they? Yeah. Mm. So that was the biggest thing right now. It's like, I, we're trying to explain to them. I went through this deal. I spent an hour and a half with them when we first opened the company earlier this year, Beta Blocks, the blockchain side. And I had to escalate it, talk to a manager and said, okay, yeah, you're not in the crypto space. You're a blockchain company. It's a technology. Great. And we just got a phone call again. And my co-founder spent two hours trying to, um, trying to tell them, by the way, it's a blockchain. We have nothing to do with crypto just uses that technology and they would ban us. And we said, well, okay, well, if people are using the internet for illegal activities, are you going to ban every company that is on the internet? And they just, he said, listen, I understand I'm with you, but 
nothing I can do that comes from the above. So we're not allowed to take payments from QuickBooks anymore. So that's one of our biggest obstacles is really trying to separate that. Um, it's getting better, but people I think still have that, you know, that kind of mentality. The other thing is that we love to throw out these, these terms and I hear them over and over. I read them in article. I read them in Forbes. I read them in Bloomberg. I read them all over the place where blockchain is this, uh, immutable, secure you know, this holy grail of things. And people don't realize that blockchain still has, it's still under the same protocols, right? You're still on, on top of a network. There's still an application layer. There's still some type of interface to talk to the blockchain network. So there's a lot of different layers that you still have to make secure. Blockchain just doesn't automatically make these things secure. So that's something that we really try to explain that the business side is like, well, yeah, that's just technical. I really don't care about that, but it really is immutable. It is secure. It is private. And a lot of these things are just fallacies that we're trying to clear up in the, in the industry. So you're saying that essentially there's a lot of folks who have a, a false sense of security because that's the word that's gone out there regarding yeah, blockchain. Absolutely. It just automatically pin, oh, is this a evolution of technology? It's just secure. It's encrypted. Great. But we've had a lot of these things that haven't come together in blockchain, but we've had these, te- I mean, we've had these protocols for a very long time. You know, there's nothing new in encryption. Uh, it still uses encryption algorithms. Uh, it still has the networking layers, still has the interface layer. Like these are things that still need to be secured independent of whether you're using blockchain or not. It's just another tool set that has good use cases and it has back. Now, I can imagine some of, let's say, some of the uh, Bitcoin maximalists saying, no, Bitcoin is 100% secure, but you're, it seems almost like you're talking about the entire space, not just one protocol, not just one chain. And uh, lately we have seen that, you know, some of these um, coins have gotten attacked. They've had 51% attacks and people have uh, reordered their blockchains. So to your credit, there's a security issue that perhaps the industry or some folks shouldn't say it's absolutely completely 100% secure. Yeah. And I think they're outside of the technology, you also have the human factor, right? You know, what? look at what happened with the DAO, right? This is with the exact break by Ethereum and Ethereum Classic diverted, right? Like who has beyond the security, who actually has governance, right? Who do you actually trust? Is it the system? Is it a governing body? So these are things that we are, that we do have to take into consideration when we are building these protocols. And then you have the whole conversation between, you know, public and private. You have these Bitcoin maximalists, uh, you have the, the enterprises also that are on the other side. So it, it has to be, it, every case has to be taken apart and you have to look at really the different pieces of the technology and see how do you make it more secure. You just, you know, my point is you can't just take it at face value. It, it's, it's not right for the users. It's not right for the technology and it's not, it's not right to, you know, to not give the, the right education to the public. So speaking of education, what do you think are some of the best resources out there to educate people to learn about blockchain? You know, I don't know exactly what the education level of some of our listeners and we should probably do a survey at some point to figure that yeah. out. But uh, I'm assuming there's some of the people who are a little newer to blockchain and want to learn more. What do you think are some good resources for people for that? On the technical side, you do have uh, some stuff out there um, and nothing comes to mind. Uh, what I can tell you, this is kind of like a, you know, a shilling moment here for uh, beta blocks. It's shill, shill, shill. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> At least you admit it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to be, uh, you know, transparent, right? That's what blockchain gives you is transparency, right? Open ledger totally. technology. <laughs> <laughs> so we are creating an education platform right now, and it's going to be a technical track. And we've been hosting these workshops once a quarter as well. Our next one's going to be in December 5th, where we go through blockchain, the technology, the history. We talk about Bitcoin because it is an important piece of how we got here today. We talk about cryptography. We talk about uh, Satoshi's white paper, how it impacted where we are today, the enterprise roles. That's what we cover in the, in the boot camps. And then we're also coming up with, um, with the online curriculum for technologists, uh, business leaders. Um, and we have a corporate training program in, on that side. So in terms of resources, um, there's a lot of good resources out there. 
you're always going to find Telegram is great for the public side. On the enterprise side, is something that you know you have these consortiums and you kind of have to take one by one. You have the Hyperledger project that sits on top of the Linux Foundation. Great resources in terms of uh, enterprise and how they're trying to solve a lot of these problems. So you have you know, depending on what you want to read, you have different resources for different protocols. And we can link up some of those into the show notes because uh, it's a lot. <laughs> so you said this is a technical track. So essentially, you're looking to build engineers? Yeah, absolutely. We want to give engineers, depending on what study you read, uh, there's going to be a, there's a massive shortage right now uh, for uh Ethereum engineers, you know, uh, Solidity developers. You have people that are focusing also in the enterprise side with Fabric. Um, you have Hashgraph also that's coming out in terms of like mass now community adoption. So you're going to have these tracks that you need to really now focus to really give the developers the right tools. So, you know, we're starting with Hyperledger Fabric. We became a member about a month ago. Um, so that's a track that we're currently building. So I'm just curious to hear your opinion. You know, they say that this is like one of the big bottlenecks of the blockchain industry in general is like the lack of developers. You have this like very base level language compared to like, you know, the more abstracted languages that are available for the majority of developers today. How do we overcome that bottleneck and allow essentially, you know, a bigger throughput of, of crypto development? Is it on the technology side? Is it on the education side? What do you see as like being some of those solutions? I think there's no one single solution. I think it's a combination of different things. Like you mentioned, there is an education, uh, educational component. There's also a timing component. So I want to know uh, a little bit back to what Betablocks is doing. What are some of your favorite projects or, or companies that you guys are working with right now? So just from my background in, in terms of the infrastructure side, that's probably one of my favorite things that we're doing. We're trying to really lay down the foundation. The infrastructure side, uh, we're working now with a company um, in, the medical, in the medical record space. And setting up what this looks like, especially with so many standards, you have HIPAA, you have FHIR, um, and, set, and laying down the foundation. I mean, it's probably one of the coolest things that we're doing right now. That infrastructure is something that we're looking to really productize and have our education platform also sit on top of it. So we're essentially creating we're essentially creating infrastructure that we're also that we're using that we also want to sell to other to other companies in order for them to really turn uh, like a turnkey solution for uh, private chains, right? So, and I, like I said, starting with uh, Hyperledger Fabric. So that's probably my favorite part is really the architectural. It's probably the architectural infrastructure side of things and how these things, how these systems communicate with each other, and then really finding the bottlenecks in terms of throughput and bandwidth. So that's really where I I spend most of my time. So Hyperledger Fabric is one of the technologies that. That's known for not having the problem of scalability that some of these, you know, the original blockchains have. Is is that a reason why why you keep mentioning it? Why you went with it? So we went with it because when you look at the the enterprise world, the enterprises are not comfortable looking at the public side and saying, no, I'm not putting all my information in the in the public side. It just doesn't make sense for me. Like, it's just not going to happen. You know, you're not going to have uh, a national trade secrets going to any public blockchain. It's just we need to give that up. Now, for these, where the private blockchains really shine is when you form these consortiums of, you know, different companies that come together. Uh, they could be competitors. They could be added services. They could be uh, strategic partners. And you put them all together and there's value in them participating in this chain. So the reason why we chose Hyperledger Fabric I think it's the most active in terms of community base. It's open source as well. It's hosted on top of the Linux Foundation. It's got great enterprise support behind it. And that's really what, what we like. We like open source projects. You know, every time I see that somebody's creating some type of proprietary private chain, I kind of 
you know, I just, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant of it because really it, the power is in the community, right? You have a thousand, two thousand developers looking at the same code and going towards the same uh, goal. It's, you're just going to have a much better product. I don't care how smart your team is. So that's kind of what we look at Hyperledger Fabric. I have a devil's advocate kind of question. So for something where you want to have like a b- private blockchain, you want to have, you know, only a certain companies having access to it. What's the advantage of having, you know, the shared databases, open ledger technology versus say just having like a privately hosted database on, you know, a cloud server or something? And I'm, I know you have an answer because you're smiling, <laughs> but, but just, just playing devil's advocate here. What, you know, what makes it better than say just doing it the, the way we're doing it? Yeah. Now? The old fashioned way. The old fashioned yeah, way. way. And that's the million dollar question that everyone's trying to find. Because it's slower, you know? So yeah, like. We've had distributed systems for decades already. There's nothing new about the way that we're doing that. And it's an interesting question. And that's what we're trying to really solve right now and see, does it make sense or not? And I think that's where we are in the blockchain space, at least on the enterprise side. Like any technology, I'm, uh, I'm not a maximalist in any approach. I think... Uh, depending on what you're building, it makes sense to have these hybrid systems where specific attestations that you want to make that need to be public, you put in public chains. Uh, things that you want to have private and you want to have some type of agreement um, that is solidified through code between different companies, you want to go something private. And you're always going to have the off-chain stuff. doesn't mean that you need to uh, save absolutely everything to the blockchain. It just doesn't make sense, right? So I think the uh, to answer your question in terms of why blockchain instead of some type of distributed database, uh, Cassandra, some type of NoSQL database, why have these chains and or why have these uh, private blockchains? And I think the private blockchains where it adds value is when you do have multiple participants and you need to share that code base and you need to share the process uh, with other companies, right? It's much more difficult to say, oh, okay, I'm going to build this distributed system and I'm open an API and then you guys are going to hit me, my API, and then I'm going to store this here, right? So it kind of creates this um, and I hate seeing because it's such an overused word, but it really is a decentralized kind of um, distributed system, right? So that's where I think the value add with these consortiums. I think the power really is in the consor- consortiums coming together. Private chains just make sense to me. So you're saying the power is in the consortiums, but I also almost, the way you were talking about things, it felt to me that you weren't saying the word, but there's almost like a product market fit. And also perhaps there might be some companies may not be willing, even if it works for them, they they may not want to add their data on a public chain. We've seen that in other spaces, right? So if you think recently with this whole moving to the cloud business, there's a lot of businesses that at first they were like, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're keeping our data. We're keeping it on-prem, on-prem, on-prem. We're not throwing it out there. And now we've seen that a lot of those companies, even insurance companies, are more willing to throw it on the cloud. Now they feel that it's more secure. It's been out there for a while. Do you see perhaps some of these even private chains as as companies adopt them and they, they get more familiar with the technology, they might feel more at ease and perhaps move some of their data to bigger consortiums and maybe even public public chains once once they feel that yeah, this is absolutely secure and will our data is gonna be safe. Yeah, it could be. I think the you know, early 2000s when everything was on prem and cloud was exploding and, you know, you had all these companies spending billions of dollars building their own data centers and they said, cloud's never going to work. I don't trust the cloud. I'm not going to put my data there. And then... You know, fast forward a decade and then everyone's on Amazon. You have all this, uh, you have all these records. Even, uh, Amazon has HIPAA compliant servers where they're dedicated hardware, dedicated networks. And then now they're spending billions of dollars to undo their billion dollar investments, you know, a decade ago. I think blockchain is a little bit different because it's you either you can add 
basically your you have some type of product and blockchain solves a part of that or maybe all of it so you're going to be using blockchain as this additional tool to what you're already building you're not migrating to it i don't see enterprises migrating to blockchain it's just what i i don't i don't see it migrating to a public i don't see it migrating to a to a private chain what i do see is specific use cases that solve problems they're going to be using either public or private chains to solve those problems so i don't see the whole problem of i'm going to migrate my entire business and blockchains i just don't think it's, it's, it's not going to happen it's going to solve very specific problems very well and it's going to be an addition to the rest of their business so let's get specific what is one very specific use case that you think it would be extremely useful for to have a public and or private chain solution for a company? So I think anything public that needs attestation in terms of a, um, I want to make sure that the whole world knows that I own this specific piece of equity or um, I signed a specific contract. It makes absolutely perfect sense to have something in the public side, right? That's where I really see the value. I think on the cryptocurrency side, um, you know, this, the, the cyber genie is out of the bottle. Uh, this is not going anywhere. Uh, everyone that's saying that cryptos are not gonna they're gonna fail i just don't see that happening like it's here to stay regardless of what the market dictates right now i think the crappy ones will fail but bitcoin's not going away yeah absolutely. <laughs> and, I think and some the, of the other major ones you know yeah i think the initial race everyone wanted to go into it um you know the people that are serious will continue to prosper and build businesses out of it um, with good use cases and all the kids all the people that just kind of chase money uh, right off the bat in 2017 you know 90 percent of them will fail so but i think the crypto side is just a the financial mechanism, the economic model is, is it's always going to be public. I don't see that ever being private. And in the use, good use cases in private is, like I said, these consortiums that have these rule sets that all need to abide. Imagine FedEx has some type of contract with a distributor and the distributor has some type of contract with some type of wholesaler. Those contracts, I, I see a lot of use cases on the private side with some type of monetary incentive or some type of a contract trigger that is on the public side. So I see those hybrid systems uh, working really well over the next five years. Now, I remember to mention a, a particular uh, company slash coin. I remember when uh, Ripple, you know, came out and everybody hated it. You know, everybody on, on, on the crypto side, oh, no, that's private. That's never going to work. That's the whole point of having blockchains is to be. It's not real blockchain. Yeah, <laughs> so on and so forth. I think, <laughs> I think probably perhaps a lot of folks uh, thought it was going to be like a currency coin. But if I hear you correctly, what I'm hearing is that perhaps something like Ripple might have a use case within a specified uh, group of companies or perhaps for what they're actually doing. So if what they're actually doing is to work within banks and sort of replace the systems that banks use within each other, yeah, it's not public, but that's their use case. Correct. And I think a Ripple, it's a, it's a very interesting case because it is a public chain and you do have that currency attached to it. Now, you can use the technology on, uh, by itself. And that's what I think banks are doing. China, um, I think it's like 15, of the, uh, 15 out of five, uh, 50 banks in China are using blockchain and uh, some of them are in Ripple. And you have a lot of European banks that are also using Ripple, but they're not using the currency. They're just using the actual protocol. Right. So I think you're going to you see that a lot. You have R3 Core. Did you say five zero banks and... In- 50? 15 out of the oh, 15, 15 biggest uh, Chinese banks are all uh, wow. using uh, blockchain technology right now. It's a lot. very bullish on that, yeah. So it might be more now. That, that that statistic, I think, was like three months ago. There was an article published on how China was very bullish on blockchain. The same thing with R3 Corda, right? R3 Corda is uh, on the private side, but it's a consortium of banks also trying to solve this this um, this problem that they're going to be having with, between like peer-to-peer transactions and how we actually move money at a more efficient uh, or a more efficient way to move money. So one, one other quick question. I think you might have uh, touched on it before, but you were saying that you see a future with uh, multiple chains. Do you have... Anything to add regarding 
uh, interchain communication? Do you think that will need to happen or in a general case, is there anything you can, what's your view on interchange? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a, a coin to rule them all. I think there will be coins for specific use cases. There will be, there will be coins, for example, like royalties, right? You want to pay a photographer halfway across the world. Why should I be paying uh, fees to MasterCard and Visa to then go through some some middleman and the middleman then distributes that money? It just doesn't make sense. So you'll have something in the royalty side and just have something into a investment. You'll have uh, you know, a couple of different mechanisms into that. Um, and I think absolutely at some point you're going to have interchange. Um, it's just bound to happen, right? The same thing with APIs. Oh, well, we have these we have these two completely independent systems. How do we connect them? Then a company like Zapier came around and said, hey, by the way, we'll build an API layer and we'll actually connect these two things that have no knowledge of each other, right? So I think that's it. It's inedible. I mean, it's just part of the, it needs to happen. If not, then there's no real value into it, right? It, uh, and, you know, the coins that are that have these maximalist approach or this uh, kind of zero sum game thinking that like mine is the best and everything else must go to zero, they're just, it's, it's not going to work out. It's, just, it's, a, it's a very short term thinking. And in order for them to add value, they also need to be part of a bigger movement, right? So regardless of how many blockchains out there, they should be able to intercommunicate because it adds value to the entire system, not just the coin itself. Makes sense. Now, if only we could get the manufacturers of all these damn chargers for phones and laptops <laughs> to have intercommunicability yeah, because that will never happen. <laughs> I have so like I don't know about you guys, but I have like a box just full of like all the different power cords for all the different devices I've had throughout the years, yeah. and ninety nine percent of them are just like trash, basically. Yeah, it blows my mind with proprietary stuff like that. Like you know, Apple with the uh, with the MagSafe. Yes, they thought they had a better product, and I loved it because it has the magnet. Uh, there's so many times I would have broken my computer and that actually saved my life. But then like, for example, USB-C and lightning, like give me a break, like just standardize because it makes the consumer so much happier. Like you, you're trying to, you know, you pay a dollar and change for every cable and then you sell that 30, 40 dollars. No. That's just, it, it's not right. It's business baby. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, baby, no. So I want to close out the podcast. We've been, uh, been going on for a while now. So I want to, I want to give the listeners a break, but where can people find more about you, Antonio, and uh, about BetaBlocks and all the other things you guys are doing? So if you go to our best, uh, website, uh, bluebeta.com, that's B-L-U-B-E-T-A.com, you'll see our, our business units in there. And then you'll also see a link to BetaBlocks under the blockchain space. There you can see the team. You can see what we do on the technology side. You can see some of our uh, tracks out under market fit, which is our acceleration arm. Um, and then on the blockchain side, um, right now, we have a new website coming live over the next week and a half. So stay tuned. Um, and under that, you'll see the educational space. You'll see um, the application to actually apply and uh, co-build with us. So yeah, those are the, the 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 entry point, if you want, is the bluebeta.com website. You'll find all the information about what we do there. Very cool. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Antonio. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we had fun. Yeah. No grilling. I'm going to be a survivor. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> well, actually, I do have a random question for you. Are you a Satoshi Nakamoto uh, fanboy? Are you a fan of the conspiracy theories? You know, uh, regardless of uh, conspiracy theories, um, I think, you know, whoever did it or a group of people that did it, it really triggered an evolution of technology. Do you want to do a little bonus episode for 15 minutes and uh, go fanboy about that real quick? Sure. <laughs> 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 All right. For those of you listeners that contribute to the Patreon, you can listen to our, our fanboy episode about uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Thanks for listening. It's been a bit cryptic. Thank you for listening to a bit cryptic podcast. A bit cryptic podcast is hosted by Alain Leon, Dang Du, and myself, Jeff Peterson. Show notes are by our editor in chief, Dang Du. Website is by Sammy Toucan and his team at Pack Surge Media. Remember, nothing we say in this show is meant to be financial advice. 
If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep it cryptic.